we have a really, really exciting session, and I am going to actually sit back as a host and enjoy uh, the Corporate View of 2022 and Beyond, hosted by our very own, and please give him a big warm welcome, Chen Shah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Uh, good afternoon. Chesson here from MiceBook. Lovely to see you all. A um, couple of quick things from me, just to say the V Awards are taking place on the 1st of July at the Pan Pacific London, so please do get your entries in. You've got about a month left to get them in. Um, so virtual and hybrid work from April 21 to March 22. Also, a little bit of a plea, we've got a MiceBook stand downstairs and we've got sunflowers, which is, oh, I've lost my sticker, but sunflower is the national flower of Ukraine, and we're giving out sunflower seeds. So please do purchase a packet of seeds worth 50p for £20, and all the money obviously goes to charity. So do stop by the stand. Thank you very much. Let's get straight into this. We're talking uh, to the corporates and about their viewpoints. Let's introduce, uh, if I could start to my left and ask you to introduce yourself, your company and your role, that would be great. Thank you. Hello, uh, my name is Sena Boussis. I work for Dell Technologies. Um, my main focus is in the incentive for the company. So, Thank you. Hi, I'm Sarika from BCG, Boston Consulting Group, and I'm the meetings and events business partner for the Chief of Staff's office, working on all the leadership programs. Hi there, uh, my name is Alex Pike. I work at Cognizant. I'm the team lead for global events. So I look after a team of nine uh, spanning the entire globe, so my days are long. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mark Baker. I've been working in marketing in uh, B2B software for the last 20 years. I'm just uh, about to start a new role as a CMO at a FinTech. Thank you, everyone. So I think generally as the panel, we've got a whole cross-section of leadership events, incentives, conferences, uh, domestic events, travel, so it really is the plethora. Um, this session is, is it really the beginning of the end? What is the corporate appetite for life? And what do they see as changed forever? So I'm going to try and hold to those two things. Appetite for life and what do we think has changed? But I do invite you all to put your hand up, stop us. Um, obviously, we're going to do Q&A at the end. But if there's something that we're touching on, please do quickly raise your hand and say, look, could you just elaborate on that point? We'd really welcome that. So... Um, before we get into what's changed, I'm going to ask you a little bit about event design. And it's something we talked about. When I say, when we talk about event design, in your roles currently, when you get a brief, how are you evaluating a brief? And what are the kind of things that are sort of different and changed and what's in your consideration uh, about what you go back with in terms of planning that event? And if we can hold off on all comments about sustainability and hybrid, because we're going to cover that, obviously, on the second half of the thing, but they are big topics we know. So, and in fact, I'm going to come to you, Sarah, first, because I know there was an interesting talk, conversation about event design for you. Tell us, how, how do you approach it? Um, so, recently, as we've been uh, making the move to go back into our live events, we've really been looking at the attendee journey for some of our repeat programs. You know, in the last two years, there's been a huge shift in mindset on whether people are willing to travel, how much time they want to spend outside of the office. So when we're looking at putting the same events on that we put on you know, for the last two, three, four years before COVID happened, we're really looking at that attendee journey now and what does that mean? So we're really looking at it from how do they feel from receiving that the registration email, the invites, how do they feel when they get the saved dates? Like, is it, gosh, I've got to spend a week outside of the office, a week away from my family, a week away from home? And how do we generate interest and really overcome any of those challenges at the outset? 
And then we're really taking that forward as we look through every single moment from that arrival experience once they arrive on property. How do we make them feel at that point? If they're new, if they've not been to an event before, if they're new to the company, we've had thousands of people start within the last couple of years that haven't actually met a huge amount of people. You know, there's apprehension, there's nervousness, right? The first time that you're going to meet people and you're, you know, with them for five days straight. So, you know, how can we leverage those kinds of feelings? Like, how can we then create a really comfortable, exciting environment that really makes that time out of the office really valuable? And that's something that we're rethinking across a lot of programs and at every single level of seniority within the company as well. And that really helps us to make the events more compelling. You know, how are we going to really have people leave the event and say, that was really, really worth my time. I made new connections. You know, there's stuff that I can take away and share with my teams. There's things that I can take away and apply to the business and get real tangible outcomes for. And, you know, we've got data that goes back on, you know, how many people attend the events, what some of our attendance statistics and things like that are like. And, you know, I would really encourage everyone as you move forward and, you know, you're using some of that data that you might have previously, don't rely on it. Challenge yourselves, challenge your teams, like what is the, the thinking that's out there? What's the feeling? And how can you do things differently to, to make that experience really worthwhile for the person that's coming? Sorry, that was a really long answer. No, I think, I think, round of applause, no. <laughs> I think that was a great answer. Um, Alex, I was going to come to you in terms of, can the data be misleading? Like, you know when, like, I know you're collecting data on the journey, the guest experience, but how do we know what this new generation, these people that have never met, they may be entering the workforce for the first time, how do we, can we analyse that data effectively that they actually have enjoyed the live experience? I mean, are you doing, well, how are you measuring that in terms of event journey? Anything specific? Um, it's a bit different for, for me specifically or our team because we are working globally. So each region is very different in the way that they're approaching events. So we're obviously looking at the way that we have done events before and how we can, and I'm not going to talk about sustainability or diversity, but I'm just saying that we need to adapt. But every, each region is at a different stage. So if we look at the APAC region, they're not there yet to be in a live sense. So we still have to be nurturing to the fact that they have to be still virtual where... In the UK, if we do something locally, you know, an event that usually would be held on a Friday normally is not because people don't come in on a Friday into the local area. They're going to be coming in on a Wednesday and trying to grab clients in to not only be enticed by coming into, which is the hesitation of people actually attending events. So we're not really relying on the history. Um, what's really interesting is we have a huge global um, sales kickoff, um, as majority of companies do, and it's two and a half thousand people in Abu Dhabi, and we have moved it several years. We're now looking at it going, is that actually the right viable thing to do where we wanted to bring everyone together? Are we gonna put it back into regions? So it's a bit different for us. We look at it more on a regional scale, and then we look at the past events, but I think they've all changed because we don't do the big lavish events anymore. We do the more um, sort of concentrated roundtables, very direct conversations. Great. Um, and Senator, in terms of incentives and has that, how is that, when you're looking again about the event design, what's changed or how are you re-looking at it? Or is it the same? Is it reward? Yeah, so very fortunate that it's like exactly the same. Okay. <laughs> We're literally picking back up where we left uh, because where two years ago we had already the you know the planning almost done, uh, so really it's been picking back up. Uh, you know the hotels were great about giving us um, 
you know, the space and the time and the contracts to push our events at no penalty for mm -hmm. all the regions. Mm -hmm. um, so we're just literally picking back up. Uh, we just know that the, our incentive are for our top salespeople at Dell. Uh, everybody's excited to go back, uh, no matter the format. I think everybody's get ready to, to, to get back uh, to, to the incentive. So fortunate that it's, it's just, um, yeah, it's the same. The only difference I will say is, for example, for Asia Pacific, uh, Greater China, uh, they're together. Mm -hmm. They used to be together, and now we have to split them. So now it's doing an event in China, an incentive which we've never done, and uh, using our partner locally to help us. Uh, so that's really the only difference. But other than that, it's literally just picking back up to where we left two years ago. Okay. And so last, last kind of point uh, to you, Mark, in terms of event design, when you start your role, are you going to look at how you're going to evaluate things differently? I think there's more options now when you look at an event design and based on what the objectives of that event are. Um, and so I think the, uh, the trick is if you're you maybe running it for a single audience, just trying to do some reputation work, maybe trying to do um, some uh, more detailed education, you know, the small seminars, or maybe trying to do the whole lot and have networking and education and reputation. And, and you design the event, again, based on those audiences and what they need and what they want and what they're willing to do. Um, sometimes some research in advance doesn't, doesn't go amiss to, to, to help really help you understand what the audiences are looking for. And then again, you design, as uh, Sarika was saying, you have to design each of those elements. If it's a large event trying to do multiple things, you have to design the paths very, very well so that people are comfortable with willing to commit and, and feel that they're getting the value out of it because you know these days from everyone I talk to the um, the fall off the event fall off is much much higher you know there was always you know people counted on losing 50% from uh, registration to attendee it's it's considerably higher for for some third party events now and uh, and so you really need to make sure that you capture people every step of the way and make sure that it's going to make meet your objectives and it's going to meet theirs. So if we're looking, okay, so if we're looking at generally, is it is it depending on region or the type of event in terms of the appetite for live, are you generally finding that there is this great drive to go back to live or is it dependent on, and if not, if what's it dependent on? Who, who is going back to live and what type of events um, what, what, you're obviously, all, all of yours are live, presumably. Yes, for the incentive, correct, yes. yes. Um, the only adjustment is some of the, we have to monitor which countries still cannot get out, right? Uh, so against China, we know that they have a quarantine of 30 plus days, so okay, we're doing an online event in China, uh, but uh, definitely there's definitely, uh, you know, wanting to go back to life. Um, but it's just a matter of each of our, especially in APJ as well, they're not there yet. Um, so just tracking where everybody is at. And some, some, place, some places will have to do a payout. Some places will have to just adjust. So, but yeah, definitely other regions are ready to go back to life. And you, Sarika? Um, so I would say the appetite for face-to-face -face is coming back globally. Um, but I think it's more around how do we create inclusive environments for people to feel comfortable if they do join, whether that's testing pre-departure, testing every day, masks, you know, having events that are partially indoors, partially outdoors, um, along with also then being a compelling reason to be out of the office. So I think the two kind of go hand in hand. And so is, has, has the bar changed in terms of compelling reason to be out of the office from pre-pandemic to now? 
does it to do, do does the event design have to think a lot harder and if so what what kind of things what what do you mean so i would say it really depends on the type of event so i think on a general level things like training and and those kinds of events are you know they can be done quite easily at home but the events where there is a focus on affiliation networking they're the ones that have to be compelling they're the ones that you have to have you have to attract the right people get them to come you have to create the right experiences for people to be able to mingle whether that's you know the the location that you're in whether it's the particular venue or you know what information it is that you're trying to share um i would say it's it's on on that kind of level so just interestingly in this room here today how many people put your hands up if the number one reason to attend was the expo partners wow <laughs> put your hands up if the number one reason was content okay um and if the content was streamed, how many people would not be here live today? Okay, so you would you wanted to uh, maybe could could have. Okay, interesting. So content is clearly king, isn't it? Like it always. I mean, that phrase is used a lot. Um, okay, uh, let's Alex tell us a bit about what else is kind of what what do you think are the biggest changes from pre-pandemic to now? So is there things like Frequency, size of events, anything like that. Um. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned it before. Where we, I come from a massive company, so we um, we um, uh, we align ourselves with a lot of big partnerships. So SAP Sapphire, um, AWS, and we're kind of retracting a little bit from that and seeing what sort of more content we can be doing rather than having a booth, um, because we feel that a lot of people aren't really attending or the foot traffic isn't there. Um, with leadership, um, we've got an ELT coming up in London. I've actually got this um, venue on the shortlist. But they're looking at bigger spaces. So they don't, like 135 people, they want a room for at least 300 because they want to have the space, which gives limitation to the amount of bedrooms on site and also the conferencing space. Um, so I think that, that there is a huge appetite, especially coming from a tech company, that I would think that virtual and technology would have a big play in it. They want to be face-to-face -face like yesterday. However, when it comes to the actual decision-making, they're just putting their toe in the pond a little bit, being, oh, do we actually want to do it? Because there is a scarcity of the fact that they just don't want to have a stigma of people getting unwell. They won't, don't want to have their employees in it. In, um, they have a, you know, a social responsibility, you know, um, with their employees. So it's getting there. But as I said, every region is different. I think London, the UK and um, Europe is way more ahead than the APAC region is. Um, the US, I think their capacities are completely <laughs> scary over there. But, um, you know, we're, we, as, as we were saying before, we're just creating environments that are safe, with testing on site, extra room, you know, um, just making sure that it's a safe environment for them to attend an event. And I think once we get the frequency up, there'll be more and more um, um, to come. And the, you mentioned there about reputational risk. Yep. And that was definitely the case probably a year ago. But then it sort of felt like it changed. Like people just said, well, because of the vaccination process and COVID not having such an impact on people's health, specifically, that that lessened a lot? Would, is that well, not for us, because okay. the majority of our company is Indian. So right. 300,000 people are in that region. So when the spike hit, 
we had a we had a responsibility for the whole company not to be engaging in um, social contact, staying away from the office, no fly. Like I think we're still no fly until um, the first of April, because that's half of our company and mm. we need to take care of them. So I think. Yeah, I agree with you. The environment that we live in in the UK is a little bit different because everyone was vaccinated and we got on a good path. But because majority of our company was in that region, we had to really be more sensitive to the situation. I like that message, take care of the Indian. I, li I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, um, what about you? Do you think there's a reputational risk still as much in the UK? Like Different, obviously, for Alex, but w w what's your thoughts on... Yeah, right now in in most Western Europe, it's it's fine. You know, you can you can do stuff. People make their own choices. Um, you know, certainly I see that. You know, I always work with salespeople, and for salespeople, it's always about live. It's the best best time of their their week if they can come to an event and have all their customers come to the event, and they can you know stay in a nice place and have some nice food and not have to travel around. Um, and you know, and that is that is a huge driver. For, for that and 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 so the whole reputational stuff just sort of goes off into the background in Western Europe. Yeah. The, the question for me is, is sort of alluded to is how willing will be people be to get on planes, and whether you know uh, as Alex was saying, what you need to do, you know, where we held EMEA events previously, will we now see more in country a small a larger number of smaller in country events? I suspect that's going to be the reality for the next while. And so a temporary reality or permanent? Well, I guess we won't know, but what's your thoughts? It's, I think it comes down to the companies. Um, I think a lot of the companies who are, are running these events and sending people to these events are now sort of saying, well, yeah, we used to send, you know, spend two and a half grand putting on an airplane, putting you up in a hotel so you could go to the, this event. And we haven't been spending all that money for the last two years. Why would we start spending that money again now? Um, and uh, so I think there are going to be some financial pressures um, with everything going on and all the, the past two years. I think continued financial pressures will keep people from doing on-site, um, in-person stuff, at a, especially at a distance. Yeah. So we've got a question here from Lydia. A two, two, go for it. We love it. Um, so the first question. Yeah. Just speak. Hello. Okay. There we go. Um, so I'm Lydia from Principal Global Events and DNC. Um, the the first question was just with regards to timing, and obviously it's coming back to what you were saying. You know, you you've obviously got to consider your Indian counterparts and and your colleagues. Uh, are you finding that you are having to book things a lot later, so your lead time is getting shorter, so that you, you've got basically, right, we've got a month to do this event. That's to make sure that, you know, nobody's going to cancel and a number of, you know, issues that could come about if your lead time is a lot longer. Mm. How are you finding those well, lead times? Well, I have times? A, an amazing boss that has all these great ideas and will... <laughs> and <laughs> we all she do. knows we my all boss. Do. Um, and, um, you know, he gets very excited. Like, we were supposed to hold the ELT in... Um, in uh, Dubai and it was within two months. I was like, how are we gonna do this? Like 150 people flying all over the globe. So yeah, there are a lot of last minute things. As soon as you do all that work, which you know the name of the game, you do the proposal and they're like, oh, actually, I don't really feel like it anymore. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of repetitive, um, but 
I guess we we know that that's we have that tolerance because of the industry that we're in. But I think it's even more a bit sort of like oh, because you do get that excitement of of producing something. But I think it's just very much hesitation. We have such a large number of people and so many moving parts um so we just want to be sensitive with it but yeah it's a very short time frame which makes our job much harder but um and ours <laughs> as an yeah, agency exactly and, and also like what i'm finding is i'm on the back burner because i'm ca i'm catching up with everyone that's been transferred from last year so there's actually not much availability for me to tap into so it's even harder for that too yeah and then my second question was to you with regards to obviously a lot of our clients as well are, you know, working with salespeople and obviously doing incentives and so on and so forth. And what we're kind of asking them is, you know, are you finding that you were actually meeting your sales targets while you were doing everything virtual or are you really going to be investing in this event because you need to meet your sales targets? And I think that's what a lot of our clients were seeing, that they... Yes, they were doing virtual events and they were getting more people attending, but they weren't getting that face-to-face -face time. They weren't, you know, their sales teams weren't getting that face-to-face -face time. They weren't uh, having those vital meetings to sign those deals. Um, so they're all really keen to obviously go back to live and, you know, a lot of clients started looking at it from, from that sense. Financially, it's actually better for us to be live rather than virtual, even though we had more people attend a virtual event. Is that... I, I agree completely. The Again, it's a huge pull from the sales teams and sales management to use events as a way of getting more face time with customers, with prospects. Um, whether it's actually had a long-term effect on um, profitability, I, I can't comment. It'll vary too much company by company. But the, the you know, that it's it's just so valuable. Um, and it's, it's a huge time saver for, for a salesperson to have, you know, four, five, six customer meetings in a day because they were all pulled in by a marketing team to one location. So it's a, a tremendous benefit. Um, and I, I don't see that ever going away. That, you know, the, the whole move to virtual was devastating for sales. Senator, would you agree in terms of the incentives, uh, in terms of the targets and were they were they all hitting their targets or they now you need to have the live incentives to get them back up any well you may not have insight but thoughts no um they were definitely hitting the target <laughs> well, because dell <laughs> <laughs> yeah. had their, the best year ever <laughs> but it's also because of the fact that technology yes. i mean covid really accelerated uh technology and you know everybody's yeah. getting back to not back but where they need to be from a te technological standpoint but uh, now, um, yeah, so yeah, they're hitting the targets for sure. And budgets, <laughs> are budgets the same or the better than pre-pandemic? Pre so they're the same, uh, but uh, luckily I'm able to, you know, get a little bit more. Uh, and, you know, as long as I explain why. And right now what we're seeing is definitely inflation. Yes. Uh, with, you know, the F&B, the flights, mm -hmm. fuel. Uh, so that's where our costs are going to go higher. And effectively we need more money. So is that, does the budget increase for that or does the number of delegates decrease to no, fit? No, budget increase. Good, good news, everybody. <laughs> there you go. Well, because, you know, it just, you can only... Yeah, actually, yeah. Well, no, it, it depends, right? Because, you know, for incentive, I think we have a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more lead way, I guess, uh, because the reality is um, our numbers for incentive cannot really go down too much just yes. because 
we want to send a significant you know um, percentage of a, the winners based yes. on the sales organization um, so we cannot really go down too much uh, so yeah now it's not a lot but you know and what um, so I'm going to move on to the, my final question um, just on this for you, location-wise, where are you looking? Uh, has that changed? Are you looking at more hubs with greater frequency of flights, or you know, less, you know, more well-trodden rather than less trodden? Has there anything changed there? So definitely staying in region. Okay. Um, but the thing, the, where we're restricted for our, our groups are quite big, so really we don't have a lot of. Um, choices <laughs> in so region. So when you say region, so like if it's a UK incentive, it would be into Europe? So if it's, a, if it's an EMEA, because we go by region, okay. then we'll stay in EMEA. If it's a PJ, we'll stay in a PJ. Okay. Definitely. But for us, it's more driven by where can our uh, group can fit, really. And then, again, where is the shortest time? Yeah. Just makes it a little bit more comfortable for the attendees. Okay. I'm going to move on to the next topic. Before I do, um, anyone got a question? Anyone? Uh, yes, lovely. Thank you. Run, Sam. A quick question around trying to create these amazing experiences that are really meaningful and people really want to um, build into their work, and then also regionalizing. Does it? Does the regionalizing make that easier or harder? No. Okay. There's a. That was a firm. harder. Okay. Definitely harder. And so, how? Why? And how are you guys overcoming that? Uh, if you ask me later in the year, I'll definitely have an answer for it, but I don't right now. <laughs> That's very honest. Um, so uh, we have, if you don't mind me taking this one, actually, sorry, yeah. I jumped in. Um, so we have um, a large program which has traditionally been global, um, and we're looking at hosting it globally once in the year and then regionally. Um, and a lot of the reasons behind why people liked travelling to that event was because we used to go to lovely destinations, it was you know, out of region, depending on where we were going for some of the group as well. Um, and moving it regionally has lost some of that draw. And we've had a lot of noise around some of the destinations that we've chosen. But a lot of it actually links back to a lot of the other things we were talking about. So the compression in the market, we don't have the choice that we used to be able to. If we're considering uh, things like carbon footprint, we want to choose locations where people can fly easily into. Um, you know, really cutting down on the amount of indirect flights. We want people to be able to fly directly. And that all has a huge impact on the actual destination selection. And then when you end up in region, it's really tricky. So it's almost like we're having to find a way to ex explain some of these reasons. And it's not, you know, we've chosen a rubbish destination because we want you all to have a rubbish time. That's not the case. But, you know, there's reasons behind why we're ending up in the locations that we're ending up. And, okay, yes, it might not be particularly exciting, but it supports us from a huge number of of other kind of reasons so it is a really tricky one and I think it's it is something that we will have to I think everyone will have to try and overcome within the next kind of 12 to 18 months and then hopefully once availability and things like that kind of open back up again and flight capacities go back to where they used to be because they're certainly not where we need them to be at the moment either hopefully eventually we're going to be able to overcome that. And we just had, sorry to jump in here, but we just did our President's Club and we move it from the Americas to um, EMEA and we stop it each time and it's global. But this year round we had to invite families because people were like, well, I'm not spending, I'm not going all that way. I'm like, you're going to the Bahamas. You can go that way. Do you, do you really want to, sorry if offending anyone, there's children in here, but if you <laughs> if you want to go on a holiday, but it was consideration. Like you, it was, as you know, as um, 
as sales, uh, as President's Club, it's a short time frame in which you are invited and we had to take in consideration, but normally that wouldn't have been included. So that's changed too, um, which the budget went up as well um, with a whole family coming on a flight. So that just adding to that, that's kind of changed for us too. But was it a positive... Um, it was a great event, I heard. I didn't actually go. Um, but so you would keep families now as part of the incentive? I or? think that, that it will be now a part wow. of it, yeah. I think it will be um, a part being more of... Because it's, it's four days, I think. Um, and the destinations for some of the regions is quite far. Um, and it's falling over a weekend. So we might change the model to that, yeah. Anyone else? Please. Hi, um, so Mark, you mentioned um, that a lot hinges on the willingness to travel and based on, you know, um, the comments made around carbon footprint, is that willingness mainly based around carbon footprint and sustainability or is it more safety still? It's more safety, time and cost than it is sustainability and the, you know, all the event people I know and marketers I know care deeply about the sustainability, but the things that are driving the decisions from a financial and organizational point of view tend to be more around the other areas. Brilliant segue, because I was about to come on sustainability, because it is the, well, we talk a lot about it, so I want to get your, get from each of you, tell me what are you actually doing about sustainability? Is it a proactive measure? Do you have carbon footprint targets? Are you being brief, are you being directed to brief with carbon and sustainability in mind? Are you offsetting? Are you measuring? Um, I'll kick back to Mark to start with. To, well, you're about to start roll, but where do you think you might be? So I've, I, I do spend time with, uh, uh, as part of the uh, event marketing association, with a, a lot of marketers and a few other organisations I'm involved in, and they, everyone, to a one don't have to be asked to do something about sustainability. They're all intrinsically focused on it, um, but are also at the same time completely stymied right now because of the impact that COVID has had on sustainability. You know, the, the, uh, the amount of extra material and cost and waste that happens for safety purposes. So again, you end up with the, the safety versus the uh, sustainability. And it's very, very difficult to run events today as sustainably as we were two years ago. Alex? Um, we've designed a completely uh, sustainable company store. So all of our products are sustainable down to, um, you know, smaller onboarding um, gifts that we give people. So we're very, very, it's very important to us. Um, yes, it's a little bit more of a cost, um, which comes with it, but I think the cost in the, in the long run um, uh, we will bear. Uh, we are actually a major sponsor of Sailing Grand Prix, so uh, that's one of our alliance um, partnerships that we have. Um, I'm actually in San Francisco for the grand final this week. And we are a tech, we are a tech partner, but we um, proud ourselves in the fact that we're um, the, the sustainable nature of the partnership. So, um, and look, it's, it's just we're always conscious of it. Like, it's always a part of the brief now. It's not necessarily an afterthought. Um, it's very much like, and I, I can't really say that the flying thing is a big thing because we're so big and we're all over across the world. So 
we're probably trying to cut costs rather than more or less flights, but um, the events that we're moving into are more regionally focused, they're smaller events. So yes, in that regards, we are lessening the flight um, volume. But so you said, um, so when you, obviously internally you're looking at it, of course, but when you're procuring third party suppliers, is it part of your briefing procurement process? So we already have our vendor onboarded and we basically have gone through the last three or four months um, building a full portfolio of just sustainable products. We still have our non, well, not as um, compliant ones, but it, we're trying to really push that basically the homepage, the catalogs are majority well, I of meant, sustainability. Well, I meant, so Sorry, in this sector, that. like um, hotels, destinations, oh. agencies, um, any ground programs, does it, is it actually filtering to that brief as to what you might pick and not do? Yet. Not no. yet, no. Um, however, I met a great hotel, I'm so sorry for that, I didn't remember the name, that have a social responsibility that's in Spain who employ um, people with disabilities. I think that's an amazing um, uh, perspective and, and, and employment and et cetera. I don't think my management is looking that far yet. Right. I think it's the tangible things at this stage. Mm -hmm. Um, but obviously we come, our business has built healthy buildings, like that's one of our things that we do. Um, so yeah, I, I think it will get there, but as I said, the choice is limited for us at this moment with yeah. things when we choose a date, a destination. So we will try our best to do everything around that, but maybe that the venue or the, um, the DMC yeah. that we use or, or whatever it is might not be there just yet. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Do you, do you see a future where you might have a carbon footprint budget or uh, or what and what are you doing in terms of your briefing um, so it does form part of our initial briefing so uh, that goes out to hotels just to set out our standards um, and also with our DMC partners as well um, and that covers basics such as like linen change no plastic in bedrooms meeting rooms etc so I think from a basics point of view we're, we're covering everything that we possibly can it's the willingness of the hotel partner sometimes to cooperate on some of these items um, that can be a bit of a sticking point. Um, something that's really small example, but like hotel toiletries. Mm -hmm. they, no matter how many times we've had the conversation, there's still so many issues that we come up against on that. And I know that hotels have contracts and that kind of stuff, but um, I think seeing that partnership from hotel partners on making that change would be really, really important. And then more longer term thinking about sort of making more responsible choices when it comes to destination selection or even things like cadence of going back to certain destinations. If you've got a big group that's coming from the US and Europe, but only a small group coming from AP, does it make sense to go to AP as often as we were? Do we change that from every two years, every three years to four or five years um, to look at reducing carbon footprints in that way? So I think it's what can you do that's really sort of, you know, low impact and immediate and then thinking also what can you do longer term that's going to have that bigger impact on reducing carbon footprint. And to follow up on that, is are you employing any measurement tools to...? We are, um, and I'm definitely not the best person to ask on this, so I don't have the, the exact answers, but we do have um, a few tools in place, things like food wastage and, and things like that, and we try and use that data to help determine, you know, certainly on our larger programmes, what we do in terms of, like, confirmations and that kind of stuff, so we're not having as much waste. But I think there's a lot more that can be done on the data perspective as well. You speak to this guy. Event decision. You can pay me later. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about you, Senabu? In terms of 
incentives are all about the experience, but mm -hmm. does it is it feeding through to the brief, the sustainability part? It's not part of a brief, but it's definitely part of an event planning process. Um, I know that we, so for example, we never use a mobile app before an incentive, but we're definitely going to do that this year. It's part of a sustainability because that's, that, is, that is going to definitely uh, reduce the footprint in terms mm -hmm. of signage, for mm -hmm. example, uh, and also the attended experience just uh, so that they don't, you know, if you're at the pool, you don't have to get up and go to the host validators for a question. Uh, you can just do it on the mobile app. Uh, yeah. But also one thing that we definitely do for all our incentive is the gifting, Mm. Always local, right? right. Uh, but it's also a way to also um, promote, um, you know, the more of a local artisan yes. in a way. Um, yes. So and also the sustainability part as well. So, yeah. 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 All right. Before I move on to, I've got one more topic to cover, which is hybrid. But before I do, who's got a sustainability question for our panel? Anyone? No. Loonian group of hotels, font of knowledge. I, I actually stay, I stayed you. there. I, that Thank was just you. a random winner. I was going to pretend I'm yes, really clever, names. but I stayed there about four <laughs> weeks ago in Malaga. Great with so it's a Loonian, and I think it's a brilliant story. Yeah, so yeah. I'm really pleased that you shared. Who's got the question? <laughs> I just stand there until someone takes the mic. That's right. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, so sustainability, is it going to be your friend or your foe when it comes to events in the future? I should have asked that. That was, that was much better. My Great question. question. I should be leading the panel. Yeah. <laughs> For me, I would say friend. Definitely. I agree. Yeah. Constant companion. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We've got five minutes left. I'm going to cover a couple of quick things here. Alex, um, if you hope you, I don't, you don't mind me quoting you. Don't believe in hybrid. <laughs> Difficult to produce. Explain. I don't think they were that my exact words. No, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. No, I, uh, I went to a tech summit uh, the end of last year, I think it was, and um, MD at Google was like, hybrids like the people, the people virtually are in outside the window looking in. You know what I mean? And I think that that's very valid. I think that I'm not against it, but I'm not pushing it forward. I think it either needs to be fully virtual or fully live. However... When you go to, into the live sense, so I did a, um, an event a couple of, like about three weeks ago, a lot of people got COVID and two of them were actually the main presenters. So uh, we had to then adapt and put them up on screen and everything like that. So I appreciate that element, but trying to not completely build it around being hybrid, I just don't feel that that's necessary, um, not disrespecting it, but um, that's just my personal views. I think that... that People don't have the same experience online than people in the room. and I, But I also want to create the diversity there if people really can't be able to attend. Who's got, who's got a counter-argument for really pushing? I, I, would, I would actually go even further. I'd say the, what people did at the start of the pandemic where they tried to take their one-day, two-day, three-day events and turn them completely hybrid is absolute madness. You know, go either either all virtual or hybrid. It's just a complete madness. The you know, I think you can do. Um, you know, speaking again about the audiences and the different impacts you're trying to have. I think you can do hybrid well, but it's not about putting the entire physical event online. It's bits. Take the bits that are appropriate for putting 
out virtually and do those hybrid. And because then, then you're giving, effectively giving people choices. They can have the high level con content virtually or they can come and have the high level content plus the next level live and then they've got that networking opportunity as well. So you can provide through a, a single activity multiple options for different audiences but but certainly the the full let's do everything virtually and live at the same time and double our costs and you know massively cannibalize our on-site prem it's you like know, getting attendance. dressed in the dark it just oh, doesn't work it, it is it's you know you're just going to end up mixed up looking a mess Farika, any thoughts where, where do you where do you stand on hybrid i don't like it no, um, no. It, it, I think it's about it's three yeah. to one right now. <laughs> I mean, I have nothing further to add really than what everyone said already. It's it's it, they're not two equal experiences, and they have to be created as two separate. And I think managing expectations around that hybrid audience is particularly important because the people in the room will always have that priority. Um, so I think yeah, just managing those expectations and communication to those attending virtually is really important. Yeah, okay, well said. Um, I mean, I think that's kind of part why we haven't streamed today at all. We've just recorded it all because we didn't want to cannibalise you guys coming and, and, you know, just deciding to zoom in. Um, all right, I'm going to move on. Well, actually, before I do, who's, who's got a question rehybrid for the panel? Anyone? Anyone? Yes, lady there. Thank you. Um, it was just really the only kind of benefit that I can see is is the increased accessibility for people who can't um, or aren't able to travel. Um, and I wondered whether or not in a world of increased diversity and inclusion that may be considered um, in the long term going forward. Yeah, definitely is for us because um, there were people that that particular meeting was a global meeting um, and there was people in, a, in Australia that couldn't come. Um, I think what we chose, though, is it was supposed to be a live event and then when, we're then when they did breakouts, the people could go offline or we did the main plenary sessions very first in the morning so that other time zones could tap in. So it was adapting it. It wasn't completely saying we're not doing hybrid. But I think that the, where I'm coming from is the original brief is a live event and if things come up later on where people are struggling to attend, then we will tap into our resources to create um, diversity for those people because you have to like it's 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 quite unfair if you don't but yeah I agree with you on that yeah okay I'm going to move on quickly with a couple of quick things so very quickly um, Ukraine how if if you can speak to the topic has it had any impact on your event delivery um, anything postponed anything cancelled anything anything materially affected your roles and the kind of work that's being placed? Senabu, is there anything you can, or I'll open up to anyone, I won't ask you individually. Anyone want to comment or can comment? I mean, from my perspective, uh, it has not so far impacted us. It really is just looking at our winners from Russia or Ukraine, uh, finding a alternative. Yeah. Because, you know, more than likely they won't be able to come on site over trips. Yeah. Anyone else? No, not for me. I think, you know, the, whenever you end up with something like that, you end up with uh, geographical limitations to, to events, but that's, that's all I'm seeing. If, uh, you know, if you're not running something near there, I'm, you know, it's not having an impact. 
Okay, so we're nearly at the end. I'm just going to ask the, in fact, I'm going to take a question. Anyone got a final question uh, about anything at all for our panel? Yes, Lois. Just a comment with regards to the Ukraine. I was with a group from North America last Monday, and I was very shocked. They were saying they, these are operators and TMCs, and they were here in the UK from uh, primarily New York, California, and east and west coast of Canada. And they were saying that about three weeks ago, they had their best um, sales for outbound, and one week prior, cut by 50% because the North Americans were, were reliant, not comfortable coming to the UK and Europe and, and putting that pot together, which I found quite interesting. So, Thank food you. for thought. Yeah. Okay, anyone else? All right, I'm going to ask for final comment from each of you very quickly. We're at Expo 2023. What is the one biggest thing that's impacted our sector in, the, in terms of life? Is If you can think of anything that's really impacted us, if we were to having this panel then, what would you say would be the thing that's changed our industry the most? Who wants to go first? Was that the question? No, I probably changed it. I think it. that was the question. And it. we all talked about it before we came in. We're going, that last question, we've really got to think about it. Um, Okay, well, this is my answer. I don't know if it's the right answer, but basically, I think the answer was what was going to be the biggest impact on the industry in oh, general. Same well, same thing. Um, I wasn't in the last talk, but whoever was speaking before about the metaverse, yeah, I'm cool. not really with it either. But I think it's, um, I'm not against it, but I think that what I feel strongly about, and hopefully we'll get back there with the um, I know that virtual is never going to go away, but I think that the reason why I got into events is the authenticity of the smell, touch, taste, the contact, the, the, your, all your senses being um, just exploding into a situation. And that's the reason why I got in events 15 years ago. And I'm very proud of what we create and when you see people's faces light up. So I think the metaverse um, may take that away. I feel like it's a bit more of an isolation thing, even though you're in this amazing world. Um, it just takes away the old school way of events. And I just hope that we can still have a balance of both. So, yeah. And similarly, I think by the time we get here next year, I think we'll be having conversations about what a great year it's been because people will have come out, they've started to get engaged, they've taken, it'll, it'll take time, it's not going to happen instantly, but you know, we're going to get through the autumn, get through the summer, get into the autumn, get to Christmas, and everyone will have their Christmas parties, actual live in person this year. Um, and, and, you know, and I think we're you're going to see a lot of you know challenges on the capacity uh, again on flights, on hotels, and things like that, and availability. Um, and I think, and from everything I'm seeing, challenges in terms of staffing as well. I think we're going to be talking about that this time next year. Thank you. Okay, very quickly, got a minute left each, please. Uh, well, in that case, I have nothing further to add. I think these guys covered it. <laughs> I was trying to find a really intelligent answer to that question, and I didn't have it. But Alexandra definitely wins with the metaverse. I disagree too. Okay. Sarah, anything to add? Final comments? No, because what the last two years have taught me is just go overflow. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. <laughs>